Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. We continue from where we were reading last week in verse 32 to 34. Listen for God's word to you today. Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning once again. Hi to everyone online worshiping with us, listening to this as a sermon podcast later this week, and to all of you here in person. What a great morning it already has been. Budgets, bricks, and butts. It has a certain ring to it, don't you think? This alliterative sermon title for the day, um, there's something to it. It's, this is a classic three-way, uh, three-part way of talking about the church in a getting-down-to-business sort of sense. You know, a church takes a budget. That's the way that we rely on giving and we faithfully plan for how to use the resources we have. It takes bricks, a building like this one, a place where we gather to worship, a campus where we do our ministry. It takes butts. This is the one my kids were laughing about this week. It takes butts in the seats, in the pews, people showing up to be part of the life of our church. That is a sign of our health and our vibrancy in our faith. So I had planned to do a nice little three-part sermon for you on these three key points, bricks, budgets, and butts. But then this week, I was reading this scripture passage that we have again. And the words that Jesus gives, the images that he uses, the message he has for us, and I was, I was really so delighted by it. I was drawn in by it. I was... Uh, disarmed by it, and I don't want you to miss the blessing of hearing this passage again today. Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And there's so much gospel good news in this one short statement. First, Jesus is telling us, do not be afraid. Last week, we talked about the same thing, the way that God does not desire for us to be in constant state of worry, fear, anxiety. That is no way to live for people of faith. And then Jesus calls us his little flock, and I love this so much. It's like he's saying that he's our shepherd. And we're not just a, a, a big crowd of sheep, like a big giant flock that has like so many nameless and faceless people in it. We're his little flock. It's an intimate image of a shepherd that knows each sheep by name, by who they really are, by something about them. He knows us inside and out. He knows our hearts. And this is classic biblical imagery about the way that we're, we're sheep who don't always know what we're doing, right? Um, the good shepherd knows the needs of the sheep. The good shepherd provides for them, leads them, helps them learn how to live and this all happens for us, this learning and growing and being provided for because we belong to God. We are part of the flock. We belong to Jesus. I love that sense, that deep sense of belonging that we get that comes through in this text. Do not be afraid could be an empty saying 
if the one who says it can't replace that fear with something else. Jesus replaces the fear that we're going to be lost in the wilderness with a sense of belonging, where we are known and loved by the Good Shepherd. This week I was in the home of Sally Slocum, a longtime dear member of this church who was on hospice care and, as it turned out, was on her deathbed. And so her family gathered, her husband Bill, who many of you know, her kids, her granddaughters. We sat by her bed and we prayed. We entrusted her, again, into the hands of the God that she had known her whole life long. And we read the words of Psalm 23, just like we did today, with those evocative words, the Lord is my, what is it? Shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord was Sally's shepherd until her last day. The Lord is our shepherd today as well. But the thing about God being our shepherd is we don't need to wait until our last day. We don't need to wait until our deathbed. We don't need to wait until someday far down the road to get to know him, to get to trust him, to come near to him. That can happen today in each of our days. A life of following Jesus is like that. It's day by day. It's every day where we're reminded that we belong to him in life and in death. A few minutes ago, we saw the baptism for young Ella Scott, a teenager here in our church, growing up right with us. And she came forward today to say that she belongs to God. And she doesn't want to wait until her life is over and gone to get to know who this God is, to trust him, to follow in his way. And then when we, this is kind of what happens in a church, when we see a baptism, like on a Sunday morning, whether it's a little bitty baby or teenager or an adult, it helps us also to remember this core truth that we belong to God too. So do not fear, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This word good pleasure that we see, it's the same word in Greek could be, could be translated as took delight in or well pleased in. It is God's delight. It is God's pleasure. It is God who is well pleased to give us the kingdom. This is God's, God's gift. So PCLG, little flock, hear this. Hear what Jesus says today. God is well pleased. God is well pleased with you before you do anything to earn it or get it or uh, merit it. That's what grace is, God's unmerited favor. And Jesus is moving from a, a shepherding image to a parenting image. You know how Jesus always uses images from everyday life to connect? Shepherding. Anyone here a shepherd? Anybody here a parent? Anybody here have a parent? Okay, we understand this a little bit better. Some of you know my younger brother, uh, Tim. He's a police officer in Oakland, and his, he and his wife, Mia, they have a, a young son, a one-year-old named Axel. And my kids are 8 and 12 years old, so they're a little older, but he has sort of this, like, there's like this newborn baby energy in their house. And he's in that phase where everything this little kid does is delightful. You know what I mean? Whatever he's doing, it's delightful. There he is. And my brother's always sending pictures like this one and videos of everything this little guy is doing, grabbing the phone, taking some steps, smiling for the camera, just asleep on his shoulder, poopy diapers. It's all delightful, anything. It's a father's good delight. And anyone who's a parent or a grandparent, let me see if my, my mom's on there, my grandma, you know, or if you have nieces or if you have nephews, 
you know this stage where this kid hasn't done anything at all yet, and yet they are loved, right? They're beloved. Just being around them is delightful. And this is what Jesus is sort of saying in this passage, that it is your heavenly Father's good pleasure, delight and joy, to give you the kingdom. Maybe we could say it this way, your picture is in God's wallet. Or your picture is God's screensaver on the computer. Or your picture's up on the refrigerator up in heaven. I love what the Trappist monk and writer Thomas Merton says. He says this, The root of Christian love is not the will to love, but the faith that one is loved. The faith that one is loved by God, that faith that one is loved by God, although unworthy or rather irrespective of one's worth. The love of God for us, the grace of God to us, according to Jesus in the Bible, operates not based on our own goodness or our own holiness or righteousness or hard work or intelligence or good looks or charming personalities or success. William Burt Pope, a Methodist minister of the 20th century, put it this way. He said, the grace of God and human will are co-operant, but not on equal terms. Grace has preeminence. It takes both God's, God's grace and human will to respond, but they're not equals. God's grace has preeminence. So Jesus wants his disciples and his followers, people like you and me, to live with, into this truth. To know what a life of faith is like, what it involves, what it costs. What a long-haul journey it is, one that Ella Scott is just beginning today, but some of us have been at for a while now. Some of us are coming back to after a while away. Some of us are not quite sure where we stand, and that's okay too because God meets us where we are but never leaves us where he found us. So the starting point of this, the genesis of our life in Christ, is God's own gift of grace to us you got to start there. So do not be afraid, little flock, about when we talk about budgets or bricks or butts in the seat, because it is your Father's good pleasure, it is your God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give you all that you need. And then, here's the move, from that place of belonging, that place of receiving the goodness that God has, we then seek to live in a way that reflects it. We then seek to respond with our lives and how we speak and act and think. This is what Jesus says. Sell your possessions and give alms. Alms means money or food or help for the poor, for those in need. And generous help for the poor or for those who have need has always been a hallmark of the Christian church, of Jesus and his followers. The early church in the first century in the New Testament, you can read about it in the Bible, they set up their lives together, their life together, so that they could provide for the needs of those who had them. They were focused on helping the vulnerable, especially widows and orphans in their midst. Anyone on the margins or the edges, that's where they directed their care. And in our time, in our church, we seek to do much the same thing. We seek to be a congregation that has a heart to help. Some of you know that as a congregation, we practice um, a mission tithe, which means that when we build our budget, we always set aside a 10% tithe to go outside of a congregation to help the needs of others beyond this place. 
Most of our operating budget, it is no surprise, has to do with our personnel costs, right? Like any organization. The staff of our church, which run our program and guide um, a lot of what we do together and hopefully help you. But 10%, we set aside. We say, let us help others outside of this place. And then on top of that, we also fundraise and we collect and we dedicate special offerings so that we are always well above that baseline of giving. We support God's work in other countries like Uganda, where we work with Mary's Alwa Center, you heard about last week, or South Sudan, where we helped to build a new high school this year. Gabriel Nyok and his family are there. We work in northern Mexico with Amore Ministries, where we build houses twice a year. In Albania, where one of our mission partners, Ruthie Stosher, passed away last week, and we prayed for her. We continue to pray for her husband, Mark. In Lebanon, in North Korea. We also give and serve here locally in our community. Did you know that every month our mission committee meets and we have this ongoing conversation like every month around the table where we try to find out what's the most faithful way for our church to use our money and our efforts and our time so we could serve our neighbors in need. I think, I think Jesus' teaching where he says, sell your possessions and give alms means that it costs us something to follow him. When he says, sell your possessions and give alms, it means that it costs us something, whether it's our time or our talent or our treasure. I think he's saying two things. Listen to these two. He says, first, give, right? Give alms. As the Father has provided for you and given to you, may you also be someone who gives to others, who blesses others. And so you're going to say, you'll sit here today and say, okay, pastor, we get it. We'll turn in our pledge card. We will fulfill our pledge and our giving through this, this end of this year. We'll mail in our check, like, like was said by, um, by Gretchen. Just write it out. I'll do my part. Good. Thank you. But then Jesus goes further. He doesn't just say, give from the abundance of your life. Give whatever you have left over. Give whatever it is that is easiest to part with. No thought needed because you just have it so you can give it. Jesus says, sell your possessions in order that you may give. Wait a minute, Jesus. <laughs> what are we talking about now? <laughs> now we're not so sure. I wonder what it means that our giving and our support for God's kingdom work through our church would cost us something. We would feel it a little bit. We would know it was there. That might mean that you need to have a conversation with your spouse or in your household or with yourself or with your God about what you are called to give in this year. To set your own budgeting practice or plans so that you can follow through with your desire to be a generous giver through our church to, get, to bless the world, but certainly to do God's work. How to set, how to be follow through with that intention. Jesus then gives us this great phrase, which is so uh, striking and memorable. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think that some of what that means is that when we, what we put our treasure to in this life and work to and the work of our church, it helps draw our hearts. Let me say that again a little bit more clearly. Come on. I think what he's saying is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we give our treasure to, it draws our heart. Where you put your money, your heart goes there too. 
So there's an experiment for you for this year if you want to grow in your faith in this area. Plan and prepare to financially support God's work, God's kingdom work through our church here at PCLG, and then see and watch if your heart is drawn more and more to this place, if it's drawn more and more to a family of faith, if it's drawn more and more to the good things of life, to the needs of the world, to helping your neighbor. See if your heart is drawn closer to God as you put your treasure there. Another way to say it is your heart is your passion. It's what you care about. So put your money there. Budgets are always spiritual documents. We know this. They reveal our hearts and what is important to us. So if you're planning your finances, let's just say you're planning your family finances for the year ahead, and you don't take care of your housing needs or feeding your kids or preparing for retirement or covering your medical costs, that is not a healthy way to live. That's important. Put your money there because it's important to you, all those things. And along with those important needs, I know that you care about God's work in the world. I know that. You care about helping others to grow up into the grace and faith of Jesus Christ. That's what we do together. I know that you care about having resources that help us impact our community and the, and the concerns of the world. So the invitation of stewardship season this time of year is to let your treasure follow your heart. Let your finances reflect your faith. To hear that Jesus is teaching us how to live when it comes to this sacrificial giving for the sake of others. And I'm just at the end here. It's kind of funny. Um, this is a sermon that claims to be about budgets and bricks and butts, like the sermon title says. We're talking about finances in the church and how your contribution helps that and um, the pledge cards are going to be coming in and, and we expect that strong giving through the year. That is, that's great. But at the same time, this sermon's not about that at all. This sermon is about God's grace. Jesus is talking about God's grace. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you everything, to give you the kingdom, to give you a place and so this assurance that we belong to Jesus' flock, that God's good pleasure is to, to take care of us, then when it comes to our financial stewardship and what we do about it, well, it's just wrapped up in the grace of God. It's not an outlier. It's not a separate topic. It's not out there, maybe a little taboo to talk about too much. We don't get it backwards. You're not going to earn God's grace and favor. God's grace and favor is given to you. So how then will you live? God's grace and favor is renewed in you this day. Will you receive it again? I pray that you will grow up in your faith as you continue to trust God. I pray that you and your household will have financial discussions about how do you want to set things up for your life to put your money where your heart is. And I know where your heart is on all the important things of life. And your heart is also here in a community of faith, the place you find meaning, the place of blessing for you and others. Join me and join one another as we support God's work in the world through the work of our church. Amen.